Welcome to Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we begin our countdown of our top 10 preseason Division I men's college tennis teams heading into the 2023 season. Of course, all you got to do is scroll down in your podcast feed to learn who our number 10 preseason women's team is. John Parsons joining me yesterday on the show to break down the USC Trojans heading into 2023. That, my friends, is going to be the theme of today's show as well. We're breaking down our number 10 team heading into the season. Coincidentally, that number 10 team just happens to be the USC men's squad. But of course, moving forward, as I said yesterday, over the next five weeks, we'll have two podcasts a week for you, breaking down two teams on both the men's and women's side as we do our best to prepare all of you for what promises to be another jam-packed college tennis season. And of course, if we're going to try and tackle everything that happens across conferences, across teams, across players in the college tennis universe, we better call in the big guns to help us do so. Thankfully, I have one of those big guns joining me on the podcast, not just today, but of course for each of our podcasts moving into the 2023 season. Of course, you know him best as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks Formula predictions never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames. And because it's the first podcast of the year, I'll go even further. He's a lover of mothers, lover of almond joys, the snitch, the professor, the one-armed designer. He quotes Henry Ford III. Of course, it's our dear friend, Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot. Welcome back, my friend. You excited to get ready for 2023? Man, I am pumped for 2023, Gruskin. I can't, That I mean, first of all, I thought, I, I can't believe that intro didn't go in since the big guns weren't available. <laughs> We've got you know, or or the big gun retired on us. I mean, either way, uh, you know, I, I figured uh, I figured it was coming, but no, yeah, I'm ready, ready for the season. Boy, I couldn't be more ready. It's always the really, actually, the worst month of the year from the college tennis standpoint because now everyone's on break and there's absolutely nothing going on. Only futures in like you know monastery, so you don't <laughs> even get to watch the guys play. Uh, unless you want to go to Tunisia. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a down, a down month, but then yeah, a flurry when everybody comes back and maybe we get to see, you know, who some of maybe the surprise January commits that nobody saw coming were uh, that are, that are going to pop up, but yeah, definitely excited to get going. No, it's still, we're in the honeymoon phase of our college tennis season right now, Chris. So I still enjoy your presence here on this show. So that's why I didn't have the twist uh, for you yet. And you're right, December from an on-court standpoint, the quietest month. It's a dead period for many teams as well off the court. Not only the uh, December surprises from who's coming on to the roster, but obviously we learned about Gab Diallo officially turning pro as well. And I said this yesterday. I'll say it again today. Shout out to Gab for just knowing that we were about to start our top 10 preseason countdown and for giving us that piece of information before we got into any of our teams. We were able to adjust our rankings accordingly. I want to get your thoughts on Diallo as you are originally our SEC correspondent, but you alluded to something and Westoff, I need you to cue the sad violin here for a little bit as I go through this monologue. Sadly, you will notice we are not a holy trinity on this podcast anymore. And in fact, in honor of the college tennis holy trinity, Chris, I think it's time for us to officially retire that moniker. There will never be another holy trinity quite like you Matt Stokowiak, and myself. That's the OG crew, the 2018 Wake Forest Sunburnt crew who sat down in that little storage room at the bottom of whatever that athletic building was and recorded some of the OG podcasts. Some of my fondest memories involved the three of us. Obviously, 
longtime Crack Rackets fans know, there would not be a mini-break podcast without Matty Stokowiak, who, 2019 Australian Open, I implored him, I'm going to try and go daily, can you come on like six of the shows? And he was like, Gruskin, whatever you need, I'm in. And to have him willing to do that so early on, unpaid, again, Matt the Cracks to Koyak, we hung his jersey in the rafters here at Crack Rackets. When we get a formal office and not just a green screen for my background, we'll have some sort of Matt St- the Cracks to Koyak poster, billboard, whatever, to recognize what he has done here for Crack Rackets. That said, you look for Matty Cracks. Unfortunately, obviously, his younger brother Nick has now aged out of the college tennis universe. And for what it's worth, I always say Matty's sneaky old. He's older than you think. Now, he's not actually old. Like, at oldest, he's 30. But I never think of Matty as 30. I just always think of him as the firebrand 22-year-old who's just always got the right take for the right moment. But, of course, the older you get in life, the more obligations you have, unless you're Chris Alioris. No, because then you reach a certain pace. That's not true. You get more obligations in life until you reach a certain age threshold, and then you have no obligations in life. And that's when things start to open up. And maybe that's where Chris is now, where he's taking care of the serious stuff. But unfortunately, due to his actual job commitment, due to exciting things that he, I'm sure he won't want me to get into in his personal life, we just won't have Matt the Crack this year every episode. Now, he's promised to do special appearances, and it's not a formal retirement. We'll still see him from time to time, but Chris, it'll just be you and I steering the ship now. We have a really fun video planned for Matty to signify and celebrate his retirement, but any Matt the Cracks to Koyak thoughts, any highlights you'd like to share before we get into today's show? Man, yeah, I just, you know, as, as you alluded to the, you know, the the coming together of the three of us at Wake Forest in the, as you call it, the dungeon, but man, man, the room we got put into was down there, but wow, what a beautiful facility they got to walk us through on the way down there. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, that was, you know, get, getting us together for the first time and recording pods was outstanding. Uh, of course, I'm going to miss Maddie because now I'm left to defend all your crazy takes by myself, which is <laughs> going to be, uh, you know, another thing. And and I can't conspire with Maddie on the side to do the like, hey, let's just pretend we don't hear Groskin and let's see what he does. Uh, you know? I mean, I, I don't have anybody to do any of that with anymore, but uh, I'm sure we'll still see Maddie. He's, uh, he didn't say retire. It's probably like a K Nishikori. He's going to be back someday, maybe. I mean, who knows? Uh, you know, we'll we'll get we'll get him back on the show. You're absolutely right. By the way, the prank factor on this show. The problem is when we prank each other, it gets dangerous. Like, cause we'll extend the limits. Cause we'll be like, yeah, but it's Gruskin or it's Chris, so who cares? Maddie keeps us in and be like, you can't do that on on the podcast, guys. We're not doing that prank. Yeah. Think of a different one. Yeah, the limits are gone now. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, We've bound, lost our show. There's bound to be some off limit things happen this year. Yeah, dare I say, which is not maybe the best news but maddie was the most mature of us and we've lost our our, our guiding <laughs> sure. light here moving forward and so we will miss maddie but of course we will have him from time to time on the show that's that shout out to matt the cracks to koyak without whom this show would certainly not exist that said for the third preseason in a row i want to say we started in 2020 We've got a preseason top 10 to count down for all of you Cracked Rackets fans. And as we always do, our plan for these shows, obviously, to talk about the 2022 season for these teams. Overperform, underperform, just right. What did we see for each of these squads and why, for those reasons, do we feel positive, negative about each team heading into this season? Of course, we'll get into the roster, talk returners, new additions. What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? We'll look at schedule, conference, outlook. We'll try to project some lineups. We'll try to talk about maybe why this team isn't higher or isn't lower in our rankings, depending on where they are. But ultimately, of course, we'll then end up with our predictions. And my goal this year to have only eight quarterfinalists, Chris. I'm also, I think, going to stick directly with our rankings. My eight quarterfinalists are going to be our top eight. Now, where they finish within that top eight might vary, but that's going to be the rule I apply to myself to try and limit myself. Um, That said, Before we get into number 10 USC, I do want to talk a couple of things. A, let's start with that news I alluded to earlier, and we did the full thing with Jay and I. Listeners, I think, know my thoughts by now, but Gab Diallo, formal announcement, he's turning pro. You're the SEC correspondent. Your immediate reaction. 
I mean, the immediate reaction is why'd it take so long, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I and I and honestly, I think it, I think it took so long because I, I think he really. I mean, I know I know for a fact he really, really, really wanted to come back, uh, and he wants to get his degree, uh, and he he wanted to finish his career at Kentucky. But you know, much like Ben, when you do when the results are so good that they put you in the position that you're going to be able to play. You know, where he's at now, he's in a challenger every week if he wants to play. Whereas, you know, when you're sitting out at 350, 400 or higher or in the 500 range, that's not the case. You know, you can afford to say, okay, I'll play a couple tournaments here and there, but I'll still come to come to school. He's got to take advantage of what he's got in front of him now. So I don't think anybody, you know, nobody can fault him. I really was hoping we would see him back. But I mean, I think it's it's something that we all expected the only way around that, honestly, was what I expect we're, that we're going to see out of some guys, maybe like a, say, a Murphy Casson out at Arizona State, where they're going to, you know, playing a, you know, a fairly hybrid schedule of get as many tournaments in as you can, probably have to do some travel on your own with your own coach. That just wasn't in the cards for him and probably not, you know, not as easy for someone, say, from Canada as maybe from in the United States. But but yeah, I mean, more power to him. I, you know, I, I hope wish him the best and 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 hope that we uh, we see good things from him. And hey, while you're at it, guys, I mean, since you play Liberty in the first round of the kickoff, Diallo, I mean, Draxel, Ayeni. Lap it out. Go ahead. Just join him, guys. I mean, go, everybody. <laughs> 11 minutes into the season, we get our first pro-Liberty plug. Shout out to Chris Heliora. Some things never change. He hits the under somehow. Um, look, I've said it before. Five months, no points to defend. He's getting into Australian Open qualifying on his own ranking. More likely than not, he will be top 150 come the end of the 2023 college tennis season. And so that's from a tennis perspective why he has to do it. Now, we'll get into Kentucky specifically when we talk about them specifically. Spoiler alert, they are in our top 10. But two things. One, really sad about our Who's the Next Ben Shelton podcast we did a couple of months ago because the answer was Diallo. And now case in point, he's pro. Like, I guess we were right, but now we got to look for other options. Thing number two, let's just talk about it quickly as an SEC guy. Kentucky was the unequivocal favorite to win the SEC. Is there an unequivocal favorite now to win the conference, or do you think there's like a big grouping, much like we saw last year with like the Tennessee, Florida, South Carolina, Georgia kind of all jockeying for it? Do you think now with this decision from Diallo we're going to see that happen again absolutely there's there is absolutely no unequivocal favorite they would have been with that with that top three I mean we still we would and we'll get into this when we talk about them they they were super strong five deep question at six is it the new French kid is it JJ Mercer whatever but yeah they were they were going to be the unequivocal unequivocal favorite that way now now you've got at a minimum you know, them, Tennessee, Georgia, and then you can say, oh, are we throwing in South Carolina as well? I don't know, you know, outside shot Rodriguez is back. He hasn't, I, I don't know if he is or not. Um, yeah, who who knows? But it's, they're definitely not the unequivocal, unequivocal favorite anymore. Yeah, that's how significant it is when you lose a player of Diallo's magnitude. I just wanted to crystallize that fact for our college tennis fans. That said, you mentioned some of the other teams in that SEC conversation, and much like I did with Jay, I want to talk about the teams who just missed out on our preseason top 10. Because Chris, going into the 2023 season— And I do think we've got two years left of it. This is a direct byproduct of the fact that we have five classes of high school graduates in college tennis right now. You got to be better up top. You got to be deeper than you ever have been to compete at the highest levels of college tennis this season. That said, I have 22 top 16 contenders right now on my list. And I have a long list of teams who just missed out on top 10 consideration But I'm curious. I want to go through them quickly and emphasize quickly here, Chris. We're staying on task here. See, I'm scolding him early, folks. Honeymoon phase over. Um, No, I'm just kidding. But let's try and go through them pretty quickly because obviously I want to talk about our number 10 team. You tell me if you think it's just fair to have them in the top 16 conversation right now. Yes or no? We'll start at the bottom of the list and work our way up. Although, again, in no particular order ranking-wise. Pepperdine, top 16 contender right now. Yes or no? 
Uh, contender, yes. It's a, it's a, I mean, uh, boy, I'm going to have to see it. It's, you know, it's, a, it, that's a, that's probably the biggest stretch I'm going to guess I hear on your list. That's not a name I was expecting to hear. So I'll say, yeah, they're a contender, but yeah, that's an outside, they're an outside contender. Exactly. It's a stretch name, but it's one you have to consider on how I get to 22 so quickly. Auburn. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, we've talked about these Auburn guys. Uh, well, we've talked know. about it off. We actually talked about it last year. It's the same group is the big yeah. thing. Sa- same group, and they are, I mean, you know, if you want to look on paper at what the guys do in the fall and the offseason, look, I'll, I'll tell you right now, you know, the the upperclassmen, the, the leaders on this team, they're into the team thing. They're not into what they do in their individual results. They want to they wanna do something as a team. Uh, and they showed that they could. And and I think, yeah, they're absolutely a top 16 contender. Whole greater than the sum of its parts. For absolutely. A hundred percent. South Carolina, even Sans Rodriguez. Even Sans Rodriguez, absolutely. I mean, boy, holy cow. The the fall Toby Samuels put together, Casey Houle stepping up. Lam, you know, I assume Lamb. If Story is even 90% of the player and- we thought he might be. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, they're, they for sure. I mean, top 16 contender, they better be top. I mean, they should be a top 16 incumbent. Uh, yeah. Ooh, that's funny. Well, this is why the national indoors are going to be so freaking fascinating because like, and I said this with Jay and I think it applies even more so on the men's side because I just think men's particularly nine through 25 is a little deeper than the women's side this year, just a little less clear. Like, Getting to the national indoors is everything because if you don't have three top 16 opportunities, like again, Michigan got really lucky. They beat Ohio State twice before the tournament last year, but they almost got boned because they didn't have the ranked wins. And just like the different, look at Georgia, uh, you know, what they were seeded by not making the national indoors compared to had they made the national indoors. Oh, no, they did make the national indoors, right? Uh, yeah, I'm blanking. They did make the national indoors. So by making the national indoors, even with some struggles, they're able to hold on to a top 15 seed. You just like, you just have to get there. And so kickoff weekend right off the bat, going to have heightened importance. But again, we're going to rapid, we're going to try rapid fire through these teams. South Carolina won. Baylor, a lot of unknown, but a lot of talent still on that roster. Yeah, top top sixteen, absolutely. Uh, I mean, they're 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 one of the barely probably missing out on the top ten, and the and the reason for it is it, the unknowns. It, is yeah, the unknowns, and and well, they have a lot of unknowns, and especially what's filling in the top of the lineup. They're super deep. They got six guys that can play three through six. Yeah. Uh, or, or more than six guys that could play through, but who's stepping up and filling up, you know, in those top holes, uh, a couple really talented uh, freshmen coming in. And then, you know, obviously, you know, the, the guys coming back, it, it'll be interesting to see what that lineup looks like. If they can win 60% of the matches at one and two, it's a top 10 team. And that's why they have to be in the conversation because you're absolutely right. They have the depth. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, Florida probably should have been lower in this discussion, but like, what if all the freshmen are good? Like then, like, I mean, I really liked Narun Dorn. I really liked the guy he played doubles with, the bigger guy whose name I'm blanking on. This podcast was predicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Toka. This podcast was predicated on Lucas Greif eventually stepping up and having this moment. And so, like, we still have the stock in Greif, folks, holding on to it. Again, I think they're a fringe top 16 team. I, I, it's pretty fringe. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. But I mean, with with the announcement that Abdul's not coming back, uh, I mean, that was a big blow yeah. to them. They saw, you know, they get to January, uh, you know, Polish kids out of nowhere who I, you know, I didn't see that coming. I can't say I know anything about them. So if they turn out to be great. Yeah, who knows? A- a- absolutely possible. There's just I mean, there's probably more unknowns there than with anything else, even with the guys that we know were on the team, you know, that didn't even, that didn't play that much. You've got, we saw some Nate Benetto. We saw almost no, in any meaningful match, no Lucas Greif, no Will Grant. I mean, those guys are now going to be in the middle of the lineup. Uh, And then you, and you, then you bring in, I mean, Nirendorn's going to be great in doubles. He's not playing singles. Uh, I I don't see that coming, but, but yeah, those, those two together were a great doubles team. 
Yeah, it's a it's a fringe. It's going to be a stretch, and and someone's someone's going to have to step up for them. Yeah, even there though, that's a fun team. I like Illinois more than you do. I think Ozalans is a really needed addition, so I keep an eye on them for like that sixteen contention. And then now we start to really get closer to teams who had top ten consideration. So the Ivy Leagues, Harvard, Columbia. They really need to get to the national indoors. And you look at their kickoff weekends for what it's worth. Harvard uh, for kickoff weekend is traveling to North Carolina. By the way, you know who else is traveling there? You know who's going to play kickoff weekend match one? You circle it right now. Harvard plays Columbia in the opening round of the kickoff weekend. I'll say it now. That's your best match in round number one in of the entire kickoff weekend. Maybe one of your better matches we'll see all weekend long as well. They both have top 10, like top 16 talent for sure. It's just, will the Ivy League get enough ranked wins? But like, I think one of those teams is going to be top 16. Oh, I think they're both going to be top 16. Which is just like, there's not a lot of space. There's only 16 spaces, Chris. And like, again, we still have some other gems coming up. So like, I really like the, again, we have a lot of questions it's really their first full season back for the Ivy Leagues because they actually had a fall. That's why you'd be high on all of them, and they've both killed it in the recruiting rankings, according to TennisRecruiting.net of late. But, like, so let's get into the serious, juicy stuff. UNC. Segerman's been really good. Cernock's been really good. You got a lot of questions beyond that, but you got a lot of, you know, I haven't said Wake Forest yet. Um NC State, like that trio. Uh, even Duke, the quad of ACC teams. They're all very interesting, in, and certainly NC State, I think, the most of them all. But they're all fringe, you're certainly top 16 conversations, and I think fringe top 10. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say fringe top 10 until I see it. I, I'll, I'll give that to, I, I'll say out of the teams you just named, um, NC State. And I'm not even sure I can articulate why other than the eye test. I would give that nod. I would give that nod to NC State. Yeah, uh, you know that that group of guys that have been together, young guys, all getting better every year. Now, I I really like what they've got there, and we kind of know what they've got there. Like you said, still a lot of questions after the knowns at North Carolina. I mean, obviously Duke's got Garrett Johns. I, I you know still down low there. Some unknowns. And Andrew Zang. Yeah, and Zang, but but the but there's some unknowns down low still. NC State, I don't really feel like I have a lot of unknown there. I mean, I've seen every one of these guys. Good lord, Robin Catry beat Daniel Rodriguez like two and one in the futures like two months a month or two away. I think it was in Winston, the one in Winston Salem. I mean, all of those guys are coming on and playing really well. That's the team I think that I would give that. Yeah, that that could be your your best shot at the fringe, at the top 10 team. Yeah, and just again, enough ACC matches. If they're all top 25, that's going to help you in the ranking system. Last three teams, and then I swear we're getting to number 10 USC, folks. Well, this is how good it is, and I think we have to have this conversation to set the standard of, look, it's going to be really competitive for those 16 spots. Oklahoma, Martinez, Monsi, Hassan, I'm forgetting one of the Nathans, I think, or something. But, like, that's a good team, man. It is a good team. And I think, you know, the addition of Monsi alone, right, if if you it's get an All-American. Yeah, if you get a focused, uh, you know, you, you get a focused and, in you know, wanting to play Sifo uh, Monsi, then, then absolutely. And then, obviously, you've got – I mean, you've still got Manlick back. Uh, you got Schlegetter, who had some decent wins here in the fall. Uh, yeah, and Nathan Hahn, right? Uh, yeah, that is, that's a good team. Um, and, and, you know, one of the guys that I think – it's going to be one of my favorite names. I hope the guy makes the lineup, and I hope we get to talk about Oklahoma because I want to say Yip Van Assen Delft all year. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's – that's on my all-name team. So yeah, we'll have to get you the correct pronunciation at some point too. Yeah, there's no way I got that right, but yeah. I'm, that's that's what I'm rolling with. I'm in the last two Arizona. Look, Strom, Zevert, uh, Colton Smith, Colton and Smith. Double H is a good four to roll with, and we know that core, and we saw what they did last year. They're gonna be in this conversation. The last one I'd like you to opine about because I think you're really high on this team. I think they scream. If anyone's going to be Oklahoma on the men's side this year, it's them. 
Florida State, who just like with Cornut Chovink, obviously is the headline name. But Chris, you've been mentioning this all season, off season, excuse me. They've got depth too. Like I didn't mention them in that ACC tier of four familiar names, but like obviously UVA's number one coming into the preseason rankings. I think if you took a straw poll of the coaches, and we'll have to ask coaches who they have as number two in the ACC to end the year, I bet a lot of them would have Florida State. Oh, there's there's no question, and I don't think a lot of a lot of people probably know this. If so, so first, and obviously we all know my affinity for things like UTR, but you tell me how many teams in the country go six deep at thirteen two or better. I'm going to say four, and I'm going to say Florida State's one of them. Yeah, I don't know how many. It's a short list, and they are one of them if you can cut. But there are some unknowns here, right? Like one of those is a provisional ranking for Barney Smith, Sure. right? Double hip deal. Can he play? I mean, he's been playing. You know, what's it going to be like when he gets to the grind of a college season? That's an unknown. But to your point, yeah, you get Antoine playing one. The 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 real interesting with that thing with that team to me, the interesting thing is last year, Loris played one for that team. He could be a legit anywhere in the line. He will be in the lineup. He could legit play five if they wanted to, because Petrovic absolutely deserves to be playing two the way he's played. They bring in a grad transfer, or I'm sorry, not a grad. They bring in a they bring in a transfer and Jamie Connell, who's been playing outstanding. You get Barney in there. You got Loris, and you got and you got Rahan Youssef in there. That's, I mean, that's six. And then that's not talking about car. And the guy that that puts out of the lineup that I actually love is Carpenshift, the lefty, uh, the South African. I mean, wow, I love watching him play. It's a really good team. For the record, they didn't make, you know, our top ten. They made my top ten. <laughs> I was outvoted, but I am at yeah, I am high on that flo- on this Florida State team. They're at Baylor kickoff weekend. Baylor, Florida State, Arizona State, San Diego. One could argue pound for pound, that's as good of a region as you're gonna oh, find. Yeah, when you when you were talking about the best round one matchups, I'm I'm not going to steer away from a Harvard Columbia matchup because that is going to be a, a a better match. But a but an Arizona State, Florida State match, uh if and this is a big if to me, if the Arizona State lineup is what we think, what is you know what it could be, uh, I'm just not sure that we see all of the pieces there. That could be uh, that could be a great match. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. By the way, a team I forgot, and I know will get mocked on Instagram. I learned my lesson from last year. If we don't say them, A and M, who just like has a million players, and like <laughs> you want to know the definition of a really good team, A and M. They're really good. I don't know if they're great, but they're really good. Like, I really like – there's not a single piece I dislike. No, you're absolutely right. And we, and yeah. you and I both, I know, I, me probably more. So we've both been high on Julio Perego for, yeah. you know, since he came in as a freshman. Uh, so – and you've still got Noah Schachter back. Yeah, that's that, that's a – absolutely a good team a million i'm not sure if they've got a million what does smu have i you know uh but but yeah but yeah that's that's, it's it's a lot of guys so they're just gonna feel the third team and call it team texas and yeah yeah, it'll be a combination of everyone else you're you're making your way so you've made your way through your list so i'm gonna i'm gonna give you and of course it's a self-served uh as as you would expect a sleeper to watch Watch out for my Mississippi State Bulldogs this year. Oh, I mean, sure, you could throw them again. This list is so well, long. Here's the yeah. Well, yeah. They, so they lose flow, but they bring in you and Lumsden from Washington. Mm-hmm. They bring in two freshmen in Joyanovich and uh, and Benito Sanchez. So you get three in and one out of the lineup, and they're going to be they're they're right they're they're going to be very close to fielding a six man 13 plus utr roster i i would not sleep on them and i can only hope that they're out there trying to bring in another january guy don't know but man that would that would that would really solidify the team uh with some depth so so yeah i don't sleep on them 
lot of good teams in college tennis this year. That's why we did our opening 30 minutes on the honorable mentions because, again, folks, there were a lot of teams that received consideration. With that said, the votes have been tallied. The tiebreakers have been decided. We have our top 10 heading into the 2023 season. With that said, let's get into the number 10 team, Chris, on our preseason poll. That team, of course, the USC Trojans. And look, 2022 was a weird year for USC. I don't know how else to define it. You look at the record overall, superficially, 23-6 and overall, 7-1 and in conference play. They win the conference tournament. That sounds like a really good year. But you look for the Trojans reaching the round of 16, losing a match 4-2 in Columbus to Ohio State that they had in the palm of their hands. Certainly, you felt like, you know, Distonic taking the first set against Kingsley, Colby taking the first set against Van Emberg, you know, getting wins from Fry with Strade, that they were in position for a moment. Certainly, there was a 10 to 30 minute stretch where you're like, oh my God, USC might pull off the upset. Now, unfortunately, they weren't quite able to do it. And, you know, again, you look for this team two and one at the national indoors. Sure, that's great, but they lost their first map to Kentucky. So they were never really in that national indoors national title conversation. With that in mind, you look at that group, everyone's back here this season. So with that perspective, Looking at the 2022 USC Trojans, that 23 and 6 overall record, round of 16 at the indoors, round of 16 at the NCAA tournament, overperformance, underperformance, or just right? You know, I I I think the, the it's hard to say because I think the issue there really was a lot of them just being healthy. I mean, there were a few teams that had that issue and. Uh, I mean, I think based on what they had to play with when they played, that it was about right. Uh, you know, I, I think if they could if they could have all of their guys healthy, you would have expected a quarterfinal or better, uh, you know, run out of them. But I, I think they kind of they kind of finished, you know, given the given them the roster and the manpower they had about where you expected. And I'm hoping to see that they're much healthier this year. The problem is, as you mentioned, everyone's back. On the flip side, there's nobody new, uh, yeah. at least as of now. Uh, so so there, it's a very, where in the past, I think we've talked in a couple of the years past about some of the depth on this team and they get lots of, you know, they've had lots of decisions to make because they've had guys like Jake Sands and some others running around that could be playing in that five, six spot. And now it's like a seven man roster. Uh, and so you don't have that luxury right now. That's probably the biggest question mark to me is, uh, is, you know, are, are they going to add, are they going to add a jar? Are we going to all of a sudden, this will be one of these January surprises, right? Are we going to come back at, in, you know, either over the off over the, you know, the Christmas holiday here or in January, all of a sudden, Hey, we get some parsa bomb that comes out and <laughs> says, USC's added so-and-so, uh, or are they rolling with the seven that they've got? In which case, I mean, that's, it's always tough to do that. You always deal with injuries. And for a team that even dealt with guys missing time last year, that's, that's not going to be easy. No, you know, no Ryder Jackson yeah. anymore, you know, et cetera. You know, they bring in Rubel. They bring in the guy from UCLA who will start in January, whose name's escaping me in the moment. Two guys who you hope will be able to contribute if healthy. But yeah, I mean, look, I think it was just right in 2022. I like, I, I think they hit the mark on the head. Like Stanford didn't quite have the depth. Obviously, it was an off year for UCLA and Arizona beats them 4-3 during the regular season, but obviously USC plays their best tennis during the conference champion uh, during the conference tournament and able to win that title, get a share of the Pac-12 title as well. Regular season, they won their conference. They made the national indoors. They made the round of 16. I think anything beyond that would have been an overperformance for this group last year. And again, like. The Stanford-Kentucky losses earlier in the season weren't great. The Pepperdine loss in Malibu, certainly a match I'm sure they'd want back, particularly given they won the doubles point in that match and lost four straight sets in singles. 
But, like, that's really the only match they probably – like, the Arizona loss 4-3, like, at Arizona. I believe it was in Arizona. Um, no, it was in L.A. Okay, that's probably a match they want back. But that's not a bad loss, losing 4-3 to that Arizona team. Again, to have Ohio State in the position they did in the round of 16 – Yes, they lose the match, but it's not a bad loss by any stretch of the imagination. I think for a young group that was working in a bunch of freshmen in Colby, in Mock, in Merrick, to be able to compete in at the highest stages at the biggest national events, that's the experience you wanted if you're head coach Brett Macy going into you know, of knowing that you're going to have this group back here in 2023. And look, that's where we get into this 2023 roster now. We look at the returners, and certainly it starts with Stefan Dostinik, right? And you look for Dostinik. He was an unequivocal top 10 player last season. Ridiculous. You know, Pac-12 singles player of the year, ITA All-American. You look for him at 1.17 straight dual matches, 39 singles win, most in Stevie J back in the 2011 season, 39-6 and six overall in singles, 17-1 and one in dual match play, 33-12 and 12 in doubles, 18-6 and six in doubles dual match play. Here's my question for you as we look at this roster returning, because obviously everything for the USC Trojans starts with Stefan Dostinik. Is there any room for growth? Like, isn't that about as good as you can get for Dostinik? And isn't my biggest concern quietly if I'm a Trojan? It's like, man, even if he goes like 16 and four, that's not 17 and one. Like, it's like 17 and one is fucking phenomenal. Yeah, you, you can't get much better, right? There's only one loss <laughs> yeah, there in exactly. a dual match. Like, where's where's the upside? No, you 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 nailed it right on the head, right? I mean, both singles and doubles. They relied on Steph. Everything after that, that's where the questions came in. It was, you know, it was the questions about the depth and, and you know, and could they keep guys healthy? I actually think they did a phenomenal job at, uh, look, I love, I love Bradley Pry. I just don't think he should be your number two guy. But at the same time, he went nine and three playing two singles for them. But that's probably not the spot you want him at. Uh, and that was really probably their next best spot. They really struggled down at six. They needed that, you know, they needed the depth. So I think that, and to your point, that's why they kind of did it about right. Yeah, you expect to get a win from Steph. You expect to get probably a win from, you know, Steph and Fry and doubles. And hopefully, you know, if you just go 50 50 at the other two, you win the doubles point, you're up 2 0. All you got to do is find two more out of five matches, you know, a decent chance when you're going, you know, better than 500, you know, you're winning 70% of your matches at the other spots. It's, it's a pretty decent spot. Well, I think when we would look at this USC team and you mentioned the struggles at six, here's the thing, you, you know, you mentioned obviously Fry nine and three at the two spot, but he did struggle going, you know, he was 12 and 10 overall in dual matches and singles, two and five at three, one and two at four. Another big winner for them last year when their path to four points was usually Dostinick Fry, find a second doubles team. Steph's going to win at one. Peter Mock's going to win wherever he plays. And he was 19 and six in dual matches, 10 and one at the number four spot, nine and three at three. You know, you felt really good about him. And I think you felt pretty darn good about Ryan Colby as well. Colby last year. Uh, went six and two at four, six and zero at five, seven and three at six, nineteen and five in dual matches. You know those were the three guys who really delivered the goods. And I think looking at this Trojan returner, big picture, you know we know what Steph's going to do at one, but of the other group and the guys in particular, I would focus on Peter, Ryan, Woj, and Ludwig. You know two of those guys have to be really good again this year. And you would think, like, with those four guys, all pretty equal in level, Woj, for what it's worth, we haven't listed his stats. You know, he went 9-3 and three overall in singles, 7-3 and three in dual matches. He was the one who was probably injured the most of anyone last season. Don't you feel like, okay, we feel really good with Steph at one, and then whoever plays 4-5 and five of that four-man combination, don't you feel really good about them too, Chris? I mean, if they prove to be healthy, yeah, I think. Well, and and here's what I would say. I think 
you obviously feel really good about Steph at one. To me, the guy that really needs to step it up this year is Peter, and I think he's got to be the two guy. Uh, I mean, if he can step it up at two, like you said, he was winning wherever he played. If he can be do, if he can step that up to be to playing two and doing that, and let Bradley do his thing down lower, and the other guy that kind of, I mean, frankly, didn't you know, didn't have the greatest of years that I think you know, we expected a little more out, out of was Wistrate. Okay, and- so let's get to him in the second because you're absolutely right. And that's the final piece of this conversation. But just to to put the final bow on it because you brought something up there. You're right. And to crystallize things even further, here are the spots. One with Steph, three between Fryan and Peter. Who's ever playing three, that's got to be a win for the Trojans. And then who's ever playing five between Kobe and Woj? That's got to be a win for the Trojans. I think that's what it's come down to, is you feel really good about one, you feel really good about the second half of two and three, and you feel really good about the second half of four and five, right? Like, that's when I guess when I look at the strengths of this roster, that's what it comes down to for me. Yeah, no, I don't I don't disagree. And then obviously you still got the ability to play Steph and Fry and yeah. Dubs and then go... Fine. They win. I don't care. The other two just find one, you know, find one good pairing or two to sort of average and one of you win and we take the dubs point. Yeah. yeah. And then you get to the Wistrade part of the conversation. And this is where you talk about the thin roster. Seven guys with the UCLA guy. It's eight. Ludwig's the guy we would have both turned to in his freshman year. COVID season, I know. But he went 23 and five in dual match play. 23 yep. and five. 4-0 at 6, 7-1 at 4, 11-4 at the 5 position where he played primarily. Last year, Ludd was 10-7 and overall in dual matches. That just shouldn't be the case. And like the best version of this USC Trojan team. And I think why we would have them in the top 10 above the other teams we mentioned in our honorable mention section starts with the returners. And it comes back to we know who the six guys are. And to some extent, outside of Woj, I'm going to give a lot of respect to that Kobe freshman season. And we're all, I guess what it comes down to, we know all of these players, when put in this, in the roster positions we expect them to be in, should pretty clearly have success or have a track record of having success there. And it's that known commodity of being like, we know what we're getting with the Trojans and we know they're going to be very good. I guess what it comes down to, to get back to the Estrade part, is that if they want to go from number 10 to top eight contender in the national championship conversation, Ludwig has to be the freshman version of himself and not the sophomore, right? Like that's, you're 100% correct. I would agree with you. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know what what happened last year, but I totally agree. And I think he's had, you know, he's had a decent fall. He set himself up for for the ability to do that, but, but he is going to, he's absolutely going to be a key that, you know, I, I think who knows what we're going to see for a lineup, but I think we're going to see him uh, probably at the, you know, in the tail end of that lineup. And he's, he should be a guy if he gets back to that freshman version of himself that you're basically counting on a point, you know, you're going, Hey, 80 plus percent of the times, even against the top schools, we're getting a point at that spot. And, and, you know, he's, uh, I think there was one questionable uh, loss in the, in the fall for him, but, but outside of that, I think he's had, you know, he's played some really good matches. He's got some really good wins. Uh, you know, he, he beat Cleve Harper. I mean, again, this is a guy we're not expecting him to play top two. So I'm not expecting to see top two, type caliber wins, but a win over Jack Anthrop from Ohio State, a win over Cleve Harper, a win over Vanda Castile from Oregon. I mean, those are those are good wins. Losses, you know, like a, the the UCLA, the loss to the kid at UCLA, probably the only questionable to me. Losing to Blake Kreuter, losing to Tyler Zink, losing to Cannon Kingsley, no shame in any of those losses. Uh a good, what I would call a good fall for him. So I think he's he is going to be a key if he does come back to more of that, you know, that form and what he was doing freshman year. Yeah, definitely a very, very dangerous team. We fly, They flashed it in Columbus last year. This team can be that good, and we've seen it from them already. That's why I like them a lot. Here's the thing. 
looking at the returning roster, you mentioned the fall, 30-29 and 29 overall. Now, part of that is Destonic didn't play that much, 4-4, four and four, and you throw that record out. But, like, Kobe had a couple of tough losses. <laughs> Kiefer, Aramilli, Schlageter of Oklahoma. You know, not great results for him. You look for Fry, you know, I think he went 5-5 five and five overall. They went 30-29 and 29 as a collective. Now, here's what I would say. I got to go out to practice during my time out in L.A. while working for Tennis Channel. This team was extraordinarily banged up throughout the course of the year, uh, throughout the course of the fall, excuse me, and that very much manifested itself in the results we saw. That said, as we get to the conversation of the new additions and what are the weaknesses of this team, that's what it fundamentally comes down to, right, is it's like, look, you have eight guys. Rubel is fine. We don't really know that much about the UCLA guy yet and how he fits in and where he fits in. But, like, you are a dystonic injury away, like a, a, a Colby injury away. You're like that. You are one injury away. It doesn't matter who it is. You have eight freaking guys. Like, that's the downside, right, is it's just a thin team. We have to acknowledge that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's thin. And I'm not, I'm not so worried about – the fall, you talk about a 30 and 29 record. I didn't know that was the record over the fall because all I would have said is, hey, they went to they went to Southern in, Intercollegiates and got absolutely destroyed. First <laughs> match of the year, right? I mean, Steph, Steph goes one and two. No shame in a lot of these losses, right? He loses to Inyaki and he loses to Ethan Quinn. Uh, I mean, yeah. okay, nothing wrong with those losses. We're going to give those a pass. But by the way, that's not 17 and one. That's one no, and two. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But but you know Fry does the same thing. He he loses a couple matches to Spaziri and Trent Bride. He goes one and two. Peter Mott goes zero and three, losing to Vonder Schulenberg, Waldeeb, and Teddy Juska from Georgia. All ranked guys. I mean, you know, it wasn't like they were playing cupcakes here. Two losses for Woj against Getz and McDonald. I mean, I have the McDonald loss probably not great, but uh, but a lot of those you know they went there playing really high level of competition. I'm not overly concerned about, you know, a, a a September first tournament of the year and the guys take, you know, take some losses. Uh, not not a big deal. I'll be, it'll be a lot more interesting to see how they come out in January. And frankly, if they're healthy, if everybody's healthy, I think they're in good shape. Rubel was injured, but three and two in singles in the fall, three and one in doubles. Look, you look for Sam Rubel. All Pac-12 honorable mention last year was 17-7 and seven in doubles, 7-2 in dual match play, play pri- played primarily at three with Ryder Jackson, but 18-5 and five in singles back in 2020 for Duke, 8-1 and one in dual match play. He can absolutely contribute across the board, certainly singles, doubles in a pinch, but you talk about the schedule. That's where I want to turn to next because oh, Westoff, get, no, no, no. Take that back right now. We're going to leave it in. But Westoff, I need a round of applause for Brett Macy here because they're scheduling tough opponents. And then there's what Brett Macy did. Yeah, this the is course unreal. Of this, this is the best schedule I have ever seen in college tennis history. Move over prime t- Tucker seasons. Like, this is the good. So not only you look for the Trojans, of course, they're hosting a kickoff weekend. They will have Memphis, UCLA, Vanderbilt all coming to town. But just listen, folks, to these non-conference matches Coach Macy has sh- set up. And again, shout out to Coach. SEC Pac-12 Challenge, February 4th weekend. Florida, Georgia, dual matches in Orlando. Hello, Week before the national indoors. Oh, we're got to go to Chicago, hopefully. Let's just pop by Ann Arbor for a match at Michigan. What are we going to do in March? You know what? Things have died down post-indoors. We're not quite at conference play. Let's bring Baylor to town. Let's bring Oklahoma State to town. Let's bring Pepperdine to town. But after that, because things aren't spicy enough, let's make a quick pre-Pac-12 Texas trip to at TCU and at Texas. So let me just say that again. TCU, Texas, Pepperdine, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Michigan, Florida, Georgia. Brett Macy, we tip our hats to you. That's the best schedule I've ever seen, Chris. And like, if nothing else, we will know how good this USC team is in 2023. 
Yeah, there, there's no question. I've I've talked to a lot of coaches about the scheduling and and you know what tends to happen uh, is when coaches when the when the coaches get a lot of new players and they they've got a young team, they throw in you know I, I don't know the West Coast versions. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of the East Coast <laughs> versions. You know, well, for the record, doubleheader in... Sacramento State UC Irvine January twenty second, but that's it right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's that kind of it's that yeah, kind exactly. of math. But but and then when you get your upperclassmen, the guys that are experienced, and you know, hey, it's all about getting quality matches. I know what I've got. The guys are good. It's not like they're just getting introduced, especially with a lot. Of, you know, when we've talked about it before, the the foreign guys come in. They don't understand college tennis. They don't even know what it, what what the whole thing's about. It's not playing for yourself anymore. These guys all know what it's about, and you go out and when you get an experienced team, you schedule those matches. And to your point, and I was I was going to make the point you you stole that one from me is it's reminiscent to me of a Ty Tucker schedule, except that half of these matches are on the road. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair. The Texas was a home and home, but they were always both home or both away. Um, yeah. Here's- so so it's a it's a it's a crazy crazy good non-conference schedule and then you know and you left out because it's a conference opponent right in the middle of all of that right is a match with ucla right after indoors and before they play the uh the baylor oklahoma state pepperdine trip they uh they get ucla so yeah yeah, it's a it's an outstanding schedule he's gonna know right away what he's got no a hundred percent and again getting back to the weaknesses conversation any slippage from Dostinik, which off of a 17-1 and season isn't unexpected, that'll hurt the team. Thinness of the roster obviously is tough. If any of the sophomores, Colby Mock, uh, Merrick, have a sophomore slump, given the thinness of the roster, again, that will also hurt them. And again, let me just say this six from April 24th, uh, excuse me, from March 24th to April 8th, listen to this six-match road trip at TCU at Texas, at Arizona State, at Arizona, which might be the most miserable of all of the places to play, at Stanford, at Cal, home of, of course, former uh, USC assistant and the slickest man in all of college tennis, Chris Quinta. That's a brutal six-match stretch. And look, they've got enough top 15 opponents on the schedule that if they go 500, they're going to be seeded for a regional. They might even just, if they win the conference as well, find their way into a top eight seed by uh, pure repetition of how many good matches they're playing. But man, let's say Colby rolls an ankle against Texas and Distonic's out for some reason for like three of the six matches. You could go one in five in that six match road trip real quick, Chris. Yeah, but I mean... Yeah, if ends and buts, right? I'm, sure, I, I, but I'm just saying it's a it like again we praised him at the start and we started with the praise because more coaches should do this. It's sick. It's sick as f- it's worth swearing. Okay, it is sick as f- this schedule for USC, but there oh, is the, some downside. Yeah, well, I mean, mate. Well, you know, the matches you talked about only TCU and Texas are are non conference. The other ones they have to play. I mean, they're sure. all conference matches, right? Um, but no, the rest of those non-conference matches, absolutely. And you, you, when you have an experienced team, you should do it because there is almost, I mean, you say there's downside. There is very little downside. I mean, let's Rankings say wise. Yeah, they exactly. Let's say they go out and okay. A, a Florida loss. Yeah. That likely would hurt, but let's say they beat Florida. Let's say they lose to Georgia, lose to Michigan you know, lose to TCU, lose to Texas, you know how much that hurts them? Very, very little. I mean, in the rankings perspective, it hurts them very little. It gets them, you know, gets them great experience against those guys. And they're not going to, I mean, I, I'm i going to say, I don't think they're losing all four of those matches. Yeah. But, uh, but, but what he's after is getting his guys matches against those teams that he expects to be seeing when they get to, round of eight, you know, you know, hopefully through they're going to, you know, they should be barring horrific injuries or whatever, host a round of 16 match win, move into a round of eight match. Now, all of a sudden, all those matches you played against those teams during the year, 
they matter whether you won or lost they matter and and the experience that those guys got counts and and yeah it's an out you know coaches should do that when you have a top 10 team that has a lot of experienced guys and not so many newcomers it's the kind of schedule you look to set up and like you hats off to coach macy for doing it no, you know, it's actually all Rich. Macy didn't do anything. Shout out to Rich Von Figgle. I don't uh, know. No, yeah, no, that's actually, there's the thing. We know Brett Macy pretty well at this point, listeners. It just screams Brett Macy. Like, this schedule just screams, I am Brett Macy. We're here to rock and roll. I just love it. I love it. This is why he's a Cracked Rackets favorite. Um, again, it's a really, really fun uh, schedule. We're going to get to see the Trojans flex their muscles. Let's get into some projections because I think we've covered the strengths, the weaknesses. Well, I guess one more question before we get into projections and predictions. Why isn't this team higher? Again, I talk about the known commodity. We know all six of these players. We know what each of them are capable of in college tennis. Why 10 and not say six? I I mean, I yeah, when you stack, there's a lot more known when you start mm-hmm. stacking them up against the teams that we've got up there in that in on those lines at say six, seven, uh, et cetera. I mean, there are some unknowns, but but look, the the questions really are about the depth here. Um, we know what you get at one. I'll even give them uh, you know, a, like you said, so one of the spots at two, three. We've got to see what what happens. What version uh, of Westrate do we get uh, this year? What kind, you know, and I'm not even, we're not going to go down the road, you know, when, and we don't really, unless it's sort of a tiebreaker type metric, we don't really consider, oh, they, you know, they're thin. They're not as, they're not as deep. They don't have as many guys. It, they only need, they only need to play six. If you're six, stay healthy all year. You can roll with six. Yes, if you tell me that those six are exactly the same as another team, but that other team's got eight uh, super strong guys that they could rotate through, sure, I'll give the nod to that team. It's not so much that, but it really is. And look, Colby did nothing in the fall. I mean, yes, he was good last year. I don't, you know, there are a lot of questions about what we're going to see at the bottom of that lineup. Do we get a good version of Westrate? What does Colby bring? That's why they're where they are. Are you know? Do they have the capability to be in the top five? Sure. I mean, if if all of those guys show up like what we know they can do, absolutely. Yeah, it just feels like it's a small standard deviation for this team. It's like here's the ceiling, here's the floor. We just know you, and for some of these teams, you just feel like maybe the ceiling with the unknowns could be that much higher. But again, big picture. Not a lot of difference between 10 and 6 or 7 in these rankings. I think they're pretty firmly a Tier 2 team, not in the direct national title conversation, perhaps, you know, directly. But on the outskirts of, you know, they're going to be at the big events, in the biggest stages, in the biggest rounds competing. With that said, projected lineup predictions. Let's get to it. Projected lineup for this team. Just tell me if you agree or disagree. We'll go through. This is how we're going to make it more fluid this year. Dostnik won. Agree. So you didn't learn how to be funny and say disagree. That's something to note from the offseason. Yep. Yep. You had a really good take earlier. I think Fry at two for the national indoors. I think Mock at two to end the season. Yeah, I mean I I don't I don't know if I can disagree with that really it might you might be right for the indoors i don't think that's the lineup for the season i think mox gotta play uh gotta play two for them and then i think yeah fry and fry is three whether that's flipped for indoors that could pop that could very well be woge four for sure colby five i don't think so westrate five and colby six i think so Wow. I disagree. Kobe doesn't have a ton of weapons, but man, is he a nightmare to face, Chris. Which is a perfect six. Yeah, but he's pretty good at five, too, as we saw. You're right. They're both similar options. They're just both rock solid. Yeah. 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 Again, it's, you know, and I think the problem is I, I think I see more upside in Wistrate and the, and so then you get into, well, if he's on, he wins. If he's not, he loses. So you might as well do that at five and let Colby play six. 
Uh, I but I don't know. Yeah. No, it's it, it's a fair argument to make. I, I I like it. All right, with that in mind, predictions, broad range of categories here. Do they lose to UCLA at any point this year? These are the questions Trojan fans want to know. Man. I mean... Let me say this. 2018, Chris, would not have hesitated in this answer. But go ahead. You've gotten soft in your old age. Yeah, I'm going to say no. That's the obvious. The, the, pro- the problem is I'm sitting here going, how many times? I mean, they could play like yeah, four seven times. times. You know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's re- you play a team enough times, you're Kick bound off, to Kickoff, conference, one, right? home and home. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like they beat the heck out of Pepperdine in a hidden duel on last year or the year before, and then they turn around and lose to him in the regular season. I mean, you know, anything can happen. But, do, yeah, I don't – I'd say no. Do they – do they go undefeated, winless, or split their results if they play multiple times against Stanford? I'll say they split. Uh, I mean, this, I, you know, we'll we'll get into. I'm sure we're going to talk about Stanford too. But yeah, I, the Stanford team, they're just, you know, they've got some young guys, but uh, but a lot of talent there. So yeah, I, I'd say a split. Pac-12 regular season conference title. A conference t- tournament, excuse me. I'm going to go. Uh, I I actually think I don't know which one. I think they get one of them. Mm-hmm. They I don't agree. get both. I agree with you. I think they beat the young Stanford team regular season because that match. Just kidding. They lose the regular season because that's at Stanford, but then they beat them in the tournament. Yeah, I I I think they'll they'll get one. I, I I think it'll be a split between them and Stanford. Uh, in one of them will take the tourney, and one will take the regular season. I've made a rule: they're not allowed to play at the national indoors this year. All right, NCAA tournament and national indoors. How do these Trojans fare? Uh, this is where I get the hate mail from from Coach Macy. It's another round of sixteen. I mean, I think they end up having to. You know, they host that. Uh, they host and 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 uh gosh i just don't see how they make it you know they they host the first two rounds they go on the road in my estimation for that you know that round that round of 16 match against a top 8 team and uh it's just tough i don't i don't i don't have them there they would be the worst opponent to face in that round of 16 match because they went on the road last year it's a veteran team I said I was going to stick true to the rules and pick our top eight teams as our quarter finalists, so I'm going to do that. But Coach Macy, just know if I was a cheater, I would cheat for the Trojans, and this would be my quarterfinal team for the NCAA tournament, that they will go on the road and win the round of 16. And come the NCAA tournament, if they're not a top eight seed, just know I will be predicting that, depending on who they play. If, <laughs> yeah, I know who you're knocking too. But yeah, if they, you know, yeah. I, I think it's critical if, the, if they can get, uh, you know, if they're... Well, obviously, if they're in the if they're in the top eight and they host uh, that that super regional round, then then I really like their chances. It's it's just always tough outside of outside of the like the eight nine and seven ten matches that are always you know super super tight. It gets really tough for for the eleven through sixteens to go in and knock off uh, you know uh, one of the top six teams. Yeah, no. But with that said, USC Trojans, number 10 in our preseason rankings. Uh, Obviously, a shout out to you, Chris Halliors, for joining me here for our first preview podcast. Any final thoughts? Any things you'd like to foreshadow as we move forward? No, oh gosh, I no, I, I, I'm just looking forward to getting to talk about all of these, uh, all of these top ten teams and getting getting us closer to the season. So yeah, that was the dumbest question I asked on today's show. I don't even that was yeah. we just wasted 15 seconds for everyone. Sorry about that, folks. That one's on me. I'm taking the error there. But no, I'll say this. It's great to see your smiling face again. It's really fun to get to do these. I love diving into the rosters and looking at the stats, and then you start to remember certain things from certain matches and momentums, and you just get back in that college tennis mode. And I know I speak for both of us when I say we're very excited to do that, even if it is sans Matt the Crack Stachowiak. But as I alluded to, you're going to get to hear from Chris and I twice a week as we break down our top 10 teams over the next five weeks to get all of you ready for the start of the college tennis season, which, again, 
will be upon us before you even know it. A shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. We're trying to roll out a Great Shot podcast, a mini break, and a cracked interview every day here in the month of December, at least every day, Monday through Friday, to keep all of you occupied. Yes, there may be no action on court, but we'll keep you busy off of it. So a shout out to all of you who have continued to tune in, make the start of this month so fun. A lot of great content for all of you across our podcast platforms. With all of that said, for the first time in this 2023 Division I men's college tennis season, for the professor, Chris Halioris, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. I miss you and Maddie. Just the look you guys would give each other doing it. I'll say that right here. That will never... No. Be the same. I, I will say that you you asked up front, and I didn't even think about that. You asked up front one of the things I missed about, uh, you know, that that I would think about Maddie. I don't even know how good the Zoom videos are in terms of real timeness, but I would always try to look at them and make sure I would I would do my best to try to time the hey great shot at the exact same time that Maddie did it, and and not be like you know half a second off and sound absolutely horrific, which was, you know, probably most of the time. But uh, the least but, surprising thing listeners have ever heard is that you didn't listen to minute 65 of a podcast that you never yeah. made it to the end. Dig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, anyways, with all that said, we'll miss you, Maddie. It was one of my highlights as well, too. But of course, as Chris said, what do we, uh, one more time, Chris, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all on Friday. Thank you as always, Chris. Thank you.